Well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. I do appreciate your prayers for me as I'm recovering from the back surgery. Everything's going well and um, just kind of a slow process, but it's going well and, and I'm doing well. And Lord willing, I will be able to stand up here and uh, preach for the whole time rather than sitting in that stool that I despise. Um, but uh, I thought maybe I should shorten the sermon. That way it'd be easier to stand up here. But I don't think I did a very good job at that, so we'll see. But I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I do want to express my appreciation for everyone who helped out with Farm Fest yesterday. Um, Lord gave us good weather, stopped the rain, and didn't uh, have to be concerned about any great winds and and we had a good turnout and um, you know we were able to have some good conversations with some folks and also give them some gospel literature so it was a it was a blessed day and, and we thank the Lord for it and I thank each of you that that had a part in it whether you were physically a part of it or you were praying for it um, we just thank the Lord for that opportunity let's have a word of prayer our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. We ask that you would speak to our hearts from it. We pray that you would give us understanding and help us, Lord, to be able to apply it to ourselves as individuals and as a local church. May you um, help us as we continue to set forth the truth that will give us a firm basis, Lord, to, to continue to, to build on as we seek to honor you um, as a local church, seek to reach out to the lost world around us with your blessed gospel. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At the local church is intended to be an assembly of believers in the Christ, who together worship the Lord, fellowship with one another, and enjoy a sweet unity of love, joy, and peace. Really, the local church is intended to be a, a bit of heaven on earth, if you will. And thank God when that's the case. But unfortunately, it's not always that way. Among other challenges, sometimes churches have problems between individuals and leadership. And it doesn't have to be that way. There, there don't have to be, there doesn't have to be problems between individuals and leadership. Um, there really doesn't. If the leadership and the congregation of a church they seek follow the Lord's instruction concerning how the leadership, specifically the elders of a church and the congregation should work together for the glory of Christ, then the church can have a fellowship that is a loving, joyful, peaceful fellowship that brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now last time we were studying in this series, um, which was about a month ago since I haven't been preaching, uh, we began to look at the congregation's relationship with the elders. And before finishing up that message, I think we just need to do a very quick review of where we've been 
in the last few messages. Um, and the first thing we did, we looked at the function of an elder, not the first thing, but as far back as I'm going to review, and we saw that an elder is to oversee the local church, which involves superintending and, and ruling. And, of course, we went into a lot of detail on all this. But, but basically, elders who are to be spiritually mature leaders in the church, they need guidance from the scriptures and, and from the Holy Spirit, as together they give direction to the congregation as they seek to glorify God as a united local body of Christ. So... The elder is an overseer, and also a he's to shepherd the local church, and this involves preaching and teaching. It also involves protecting the church from, from spiritual predators, both from without and within, and it involves praying um, for the needs of the congregation. And, of course, there's, there's other things that are involved as well, but these are the three main functions of the elder as a pastor, as a shepherd. So we spent some time um, looking at that, and then the last time we were together, we started looking at the congregation's um, relationship with the elders, and we saw, first of all, the congregation's posture toward the elders. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So we, we saw in this passage that the congregation should respect the elders. That I acknowledge them. Acknowledge that, that your leaders, the elders of the church, are those men whom God has placed in authority over you and therefore, you should respect them. And we also saw in this passage that, that the congregation should esteem the elders highly in love, to, to regard them, to, to have a high opinion of them. Um, and we also noted last time the congregation's provision for the elders' material needs um, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborers deserve his wages. So again, we looked at this in some detail. Um, the idea of giving honor is, is to, to place a value on, to assess the worth. And then double honor, as we looked at, is talking about financial remuneration to provide for the, the needs of those elders who are, shall we say, in a, in a full-time position, who are not employed um, elsewhere, and um, also at, who are what some would call lay elders. So the financial remuneration for those who commit themselves to a full-time position as an elder. So that's where we have been in the last couple of messages in this series. We want to continue this, um, this uh, congregation's response to the elders. And the first thing that I want us to see here is in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. So let's read that verse together. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul, those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so what, this verse is kind of scary, right? I mean, obey and submit to your elders. It, it's kind of scary if you're sitting in the pews or, or if you're an elder. But, but let's look at it, and I think, I think this will help us really understand what, what the scripture is saying here. Because really what, what the overall meaning of this verse is that the congregation needs to accept the oversight of their leadership. Accept the oversight. You'll notice here that there are two commands for believers in their relationship with elders. The first one, our ESV says, obey your leaders. Obey your leaders. And, and you can see I put on the outline here, trust your spiritual leaders. This word obey is not the same word that you find in Ephesians 6.1 where it says children obey your parents. Okay, it's, it's a different Greek word. And the word is common though, it's used some 52 times in the New Testament. And in the ESV it's translated 16 different ways. Uh, it, it includes, uh, the translation includes persuade, convince, have confidence, to be sure, to trust, and to obey. Um, I want us to look at these verses. You can look at them right here in Hebrews. Or I have them on the screen as well. But I want us to, to know how these, this word is used in, in the book of Hebrews specifically. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13, here the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Isaiah and he's showing that Jesus Christ trusted in his father. He says in Hebrews 2.13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So the word there is translated, put my trust. I will put my trust in him. Same word that's translated obey here in Hebrews 13. Um, so then in chapter 6 and verse 9, that the writer of Hebrews is this time expressing confidence in the recipients of the letter, that they are genuine believers. And he says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So he's saying, we, we have confidence, we feel sure about this. Again, the same word, and it's translated the same way again in Hebrews 13, 18, the next verse after our text here where he's stating his own conviction of having a clear conscience. He says, for we are sure, again, same word, translated obey in verse 17, we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So, so most commentators believe and, and agree that this is the main sense of the word here in verse 17. The command is not the same as to obey children, obey your parents. No, it's, it's a command to trust your leadership. It's a command to have confidence in your leadership. If the elders in your church are faithfully fulfilling their responsibilities as elders, then there's no reason for the congregation not to trust them. They should trust them. And, and we must understand that this passage is, is not teaching that the elders have some type of 
parental type authority over the congregation. Elders do not have the authority to simply require the congregation to do whatever the elders might want them to do. That's not at all what it's talking about when it says, obey your leaders. It's not like this parent-minor-child relationship. For example, and, um, you know, here we go, right? Let's, let's put, it, put it to the test here. Halloween's coming up, right? A couple weeks away. If I were to ask everybody, what's your opinion of Halloween? We'd get a variety of answers, okay? If I, as an elder, as a pastor, if, if I decided that Halloween is actually just devil day, it is absolutely wicked, and Christians should have absolutely nothing to do with it. And I were to stand up here and, and preach that, which I'm not preaching, but if I were it, it, to do that, then and tell you all, you, you just need to, you need to stay away from Halloween. You need to go in your house on Halloween night and lock the door and turn your lights off. And, and you better obey me, Right? No, no, that's not what this passage is saying, right? Or let's say, for example, that, that I believed, which I don't, that birth control was wrong, that no one should ever practice birth control, that it's absolutely sin, da 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 da, da. And I just preached it and said, if you're practicing birth control, you're sinning against God, you know? Um, no. Okay. That, that, that's an abuse of the authority of, of a pastor elder. That, that's taking the scripture and saying, okay, I see the scripture says this and this and this, and my conclusion is this, and my application is this, and I'm going to demand that of everybody in my church. You know, that, that's what needs to be avoided. Now, there are things, right, that that we can stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and, and this is what you need to do. Like, you, you need to participate in Sunday worship. I mean, okay, if you've got to work, you've got to work, right? I understand that. But, but if you're going to put your kid in, in sports where you're going to miss, you know, half the year because your kid's got games on Sunday, as, as an elder, I don't understand that. Okay, there's a difference there. I assume you see the difference. You know, what about being a faithful, loving spouse? You know, as, as an elder, and as elders, we, we could stand up here and say, look, you, you need to be a faithful, loving spouse. And, and if you're not faithful to your spouse, and if, if you're not loving your spouse, and you know, you're creating problems in your home, then we're going to come to you and, and call you to account. You know, if, if you're not practicing birth control, well, that's between you and God. How you celebrate Halloween, we're not going to come and fuss at you about it. But, but if you're deciding, hey, church isn't that important, my kids' sports are more important than church, or if you're going to say, hey, you know what, um, I'll treat my wife like I want to treat her, and it's like dirt, then we're going to come to you, right? So, so we got to see the difference here. So this idea of obey your leaders is not this parent-child type 
authority relationship. No, the, the real idea here is a trust, a confidence in. We have confidence in the elders. We have confidence in the leadership because they are, they are ruling, they are overseeing according to the scriptures and not according to their own personal application of the scriptures. So the command to believers is to trust the spiritual leaders in their church, to have confidence in their leadership. And if an individual in a church has confidence and the leadership in the leadership of the church, if they trust him, them, then they're going to willfully submit to them. And that's, and that's what we see here in the second part of the verse, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I put down here again, defer to your spiritual leaders. Because this word submit is not the same Greek word that's used in Colossians 3.18 or in Ephesians 6 when it talks about when it talks about wives submit to your husbands. It's not the same word. That, that word means to place yourself under, to place under their authority. This word translated submit in Hebrews 13, 17 is used only once in the whole New Testament, right here. This is the only place it occurs. And it means to give way to, to yield to, to defer to, to comply with. Therefore, believers in a local church are, are to yield to the leadership, to defer to the leadership. And, and when does this come to play? Well, it comes to play when, when they have a differing opinion with the leadership. And really, this is tied in with, with Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. When, when he says that love does not insist on having its own way. This is really what's at the heart of this. And that's not easy for some people to do. That's not easy for some people to do. Now, some of you are in leadership positions in, where you work. Some of you have been in the past. Um, if you're a parent, you're, you've, you've been in a leadership position, right? Or you are in a leadership position. And we all know that, that leadership needs to make decisions that are, it's not always just a matter of right or wrong, right? You've got to make decisions, and it's not, it's not just a matter of, is this, this is right and this is wrong, so we're going to do what's right. Sometimes it's not, you know, a decision based on right or wrong. Many decisions are based upon preference. And when the elders are faced with a decision based upon preference, affect the entire body <clears throat> that decision made, needs to be made with the entire body in mind and if you have a church of oh let's say more than maybe uh, 10 people when you make these kinds of decisions that are based on preference there's no way possible to meet everyone's desired preference you know we struggled as a church for several years with a decision of this nature. Uh, we were trying to determine the best schedule for our meetings on Sundays. There were some who preferred evening services. There were others 
who preferred afternoon services. There were some who wanted to meet for lunch every Sunday. There are some who didn't ever want to meet for lunch, apparently. And after some experimentation, to the point of frustration on some people's parts, and, and then COVID came eventually, and, and that really helped us realize our desire and need to be together on Sundays, I think. But, but after all that, we came up with a, a new schedule after COVID, after all the dust settled from that, and, and most people accepted that schedule and participated in it. The schedule we're using right now, I think we've been doing it for two years now, and it seems to be, it seems to be working well. Is it everybody's preference? No. It's not even my preference. I mean, but, but, but it works, right? You know, there are many, many other things that must be decided which are based upon preferences rather than just scriptural convictions. You know, things like who's going to teach a certain Sunday school class or lead a Bible study. Uh, what music are we going to sing as a congregation? Uh, what are we going to do for our local outreach? What do we need to do to improve our facilities? I mean, just, the list goes on and on and on. A lot of these questions, it's not just a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of what, it's a matter of preference, really. But the preference is what, what's best for the congregation? What's best for, for what we're trying to accomplish as a local? And as a committed member of the church, you, everyone who, who is committed to the church, you should and you do have every right to respectfully express your opinion, but you have the responsibility to defer to the leadership or, if it comes to uncertain things, to the vote of the congregation because we're a congregational um, we have congregational polity here. Any major decisions are made by, by a vote of the congregation. And sometimes the leadership is going to make decisions. Sometimes the congregation is going to make decisions that you don't agree with. They go contrary to your opinion. I mean, it's just, it's bound to happen. Uh, and you have the responsibility to accept those decisions that are made to defer to the leadership when those decisions are made that are that are contrary to your to, to your preferences which includes your your participation as part of the body in the implementation of those decisions that you may not have preferred so here's somebody you know we decide we change our schedule which we're lord willing as long as i'm changing it but Say so we, we decide our schedule, and, and somebody says, yeah, I don't like that schedule. I'm not, I'm not going to come to that part anymore because it, you know, not, not because of conflict. He just doesn't like it. You know, that, that, that's really not an acceptable response. And I believe it's, it's talking about, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Defer to them. And the application of this truth is, is widespread. 
because the scripture calls all of us to make the, the necessary sacrifices to be able to function in the church, in the local church, where God has placed us. He expects us to use our spiritual gifts in order to minister to, to the whole body. And anyone who is, is so consumed with their own opinions and own preferences and are that so much that they're unwilling to do that, then they're, they're definitely you know, living contrary to the spirit of the scripture's teaching. There's no way that a church can be spiritually mature in accomplishing what God intends it to accomplish if people in the church are unwilling to not only defer to the leadership, but also to one another. Putting their own personal preferences aside and participating with the rest of the body in the activities of the church. Is, is this not what Paul was saying before he gives this this example of Christ in Philippians 2.3 when he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition, or but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So this matter of, of deference is, is very important in a local church. Um, actually, there are three reasons given here for believers to trust and to defer to their spiritual leaders. You see here, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Leaders keep watch over souls of the people in the church. They watch, they guard, they care for the other believers in the local church. The responsibility of the elders is to be conscientious and diligent for the spiritual well-being of others. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is what the elders are to do, to look out for the spiritual well-being of others. The word, he, he uses this word, watch, right? They're keeping watch. What does that imply? Well, it implies that there's a need for, for someone to keep watch. There's a need for a watchman. There's danger. There are false teachers. There are many spiritual pitfalls that, that need to be avoided. There are Christians who are seeing perpetually weak in their faith who need more care than others in fact Paul warns all of us right he says he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall and the truth of the matter is the best care that an elder can possibly give is of little use if the believers do not submit to the elders wise loving leadership it doesn't matter how how godly and how scriptural and how loving an elder is if, if, if the person or family or congregation that he's trying to help won't listen and won't respond in, in a scriptural way. But this is one reason that um, believers need to trust and defer their spiritual leaders be, because the leaders keep watch over their souls. Also, leaders are held to a stricter scrutiny and standard of accountability before God. If you know here, also in verse 17, they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. An account to God for their leadership. 
The prophet Ezekiel was given a message by God as he ministered as a minister of the Lord. In Ezekiel 3, 17 through 19, he's told, he's referred to as son of man. He says, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak in a wicked way, but I will require If you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from the wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. You know, I... I don't think this is this can be just torn out of Ezekiel and placed totally in the New Testament, but but it's the the principle here. The principle is somebody who is in spiritual leadership has a responsibility to to warn and to correct others to to those those who are under his care. In fact, James says something similar, right, in James 3.1, when he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, when he says teachers, he's, he's probably referring to this concept of pastor teachers as Ephesians 4.11. Um, though it would include other teachers as well, I'm sure. But, but here, here's the truth of the matter. And this is why this is why the congregation, the believers, should have confidence in their leaders, should defer to their leaders, because if if a leader, if an elder is doing what he's supposed to do, he is ministering in a way, he is dealing with people both publicly from the pulpit and in in, in private conversation as well. He is dealing with them, knowing that he is going to give an account to God for the message that he brings to these people that he has, he, he has been called to oversee and to shepherd. And, and that's, that's a heavy burden. That's a heavy burden for, for an elder to bear, knowing that he's responsible for his dealings with other people regarding giving them truth and warning them and trying to help them. The last of the three reasons that he gives here is that failure to trust and defer to their spiritual leaders brings trouble for the believers. Know what he says here. He says, let them, that's, that's the uh, elders, the leaders, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The writer of Hebrews says, if you, if any believer in a church in a local church if if he or she um, makes it so the the leadership in dealing with them results in their groaning is the word used here then it wouldn't be of no advantage to that person all right so what's he talking about no advantage that doesn't sound too bad right well, he's actually using a literary device here called litotis. 
in what it is, it's, 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 it's an understatement in which an affirmative is expressed by the negative of its contrary. Okay, does that make sense? <clears throat> Let me give you an example. So, um, here's Charles, right? Let's pick on Charles. Last year, he built this amazing sleigh, did he not, for our Christmas parade? And Lord willing, we'll use it again this year in our, when we set up a booth down there. So it's just beautiful for those of you who haven't seen it. It's, it's amazing, right? Um, so here comes Bill. Let's pick on Bill. And he comes up and he, and he sees that sleigh and he says, Wow, Charles, that's not bad. That's not bad. What, what's he mean? What he, what he means is, wow, this is, this is, use the word awesome, right? This is great. This is, this is unbelievable. You know, it, you know, we do that. This, this is what, this is the language that the writer of Hebrews is doing here. He, what he's really saying is, if a believer will not obey, if he, if, he will not, if he will not put his confidence in and submit to the spiritual leadership in his church, then it's going to be disastrous for him. That's what he's saying. It's not just like, well, you know, it's not going not gonna to be any advantage to him. No, it's going to be disastrous. That's what he's saying here. And, and we won't spend much time on this but just think about the dangers the dangers of somebody willfully not trusting in their leadership willfully not deferring to their leadership when they should be um, first of all the there would not only be the absence of spiritual growth but there could actually be loss of eternal reward um, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Um, there could be God's severe chastisement, as you see there in 1 Corinthians 11, when they were abusing the Lord's table and the, and the apostle is warning them, look, don't do this. Some have died and some more could, is what he's indicating there. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, one through three, there could be satanic delusion. Paul says, I'm concerned that, that you would be deceived by Satan, even as Eve was. Debilitating bitterness, as seen in Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. And, you know, all of these things could happen, but, but I think really the, the one that happens most is the removal of spiritual light and a plunging into darkness. In Mark 4, 24 and 25, Jesus warned his hearers. He said, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He's talking here about spiritual light, spiritual blessing. And for somebody, <clears throat> I mean, obviously there are other things they can do as well, but, but it would include this matter of a, a rebellion, a, a lack of trust in God's spiritual 
scriptural leadership, a, a unwill, an unwillingness to defer to godly leadership, often in this removal of spiritual light and a plunging into darkness. You know, it's the old saying, if you're not going forward, you're going backward. It's, it's true. And, and if you're not taking the light, if, if, there's, if your godly leadership in your church is trying to help you, it giving you spiritual light, trying to help you to go in the right direction spiritually, and you refuse that, and you say, no, I'm not going to submit to that, then you're putting yourself in danger of, of any of these things. But, but I think this is one, one that comes first. How many people have you seen in your Christian life who you've seen go down that path of rejecting truth that they know is truth, unwilling to submit themselves to it, and you've seen them backslide. You've seen them go the other direction. This is what this is talking about. And, and it's something that, that you know, needs to be put out there as a warning so we see here first of all the congregation's response needs to be accepting the oversight of the leader and then secondly uh, dealing scripturally with their failures if you turn with me over to first timothy 5 and look at that passage with me first timothy 5 19 through 21 Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So here Paul deals with this matter of, of how do you deal with who sins because it happens right how do you deal with with an elder someone in leadership who sins well though this is a message um i want to bring it out because it's all through the scripture and, and the first is that love covers a multitude of sins right um we've gone over this before elders are not perfect people right they're not entirely sanctified. There are qualifications. We've gone over those. They're, you know, they're, they're recognized by the local body. Um, but they're not perfect people. They, they're, they're like every other saved person. They're sinners saved by grace, and they still sin at times. We have to remember that love covers a multitude of sins and understanding that um, every time an elder, if an elder does something, uh, if he sins against you, you know, what, what, what should you do? Well, the first thing you should do is go to him, right? Let's say I blow up and lose my temper, which by the grace of God, I don't do very often. <laughs> but let's say I do. Let's say, let's say I'm... Oh, let's take Sean and picked on him today. Let's say Sean and I are having a, a conversation and I just blow my top and start, you know, going off the deep end and yelling. And, and um, of course, Sean's going to like, wow, never seen him do that before. <laughs> but, okay, what, what needs to happen? Are you going to call me before the church? 
and say, oh, yeah, Pastor, you're, you're done. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, we're gonna receive this charge against you. Well, hopefully Sean's going to come to me, or hopefully before Sean ever gets a chance to come to me, I'm going to go to him and say, look, man, I really blew it. I sinned against you, and, and I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? I'm going to make things right. But if not, he's going to come to me, and we're going to get things right. So, so we're not talking here about every, you know, every time an elder sins in a matter he dealt with quickly and it's out of character for him okay because love covers a multitude of sins but I want to read this quote from uh, one author from a hundred years ago he writes this he said most controversies in local congregations are produced not primarily by differences over essentials, but by unsanctified human ambitions, jealousy, and personality clashes. The real root of many such situations is spiritual dearth in individual believers, revealing lamentable immaturity in love. Therefore, the local congregation is one of the very best laboratories in which individual believers may discover their real spiritual emptiness and begin to grow in agape love. This is done by true repentance, humble, conf- humbly confessing the sins of jealousy, envy, resentment, etc., and begging forgiveness from one another. This approach will result in real growth in the love that covers sin. And I think that's very good in, in, in our dealings with one another, obviously in, in everyone in the church dealing with one another, but also in the context of what we're studying here today, differences between the congregation and the leadership. Um, we're all going to make mistakes. We're, we're, we're all going to, to fail. And, and we, need to, we need to be expressing love toward one another, accepting one another, helping one another and growing together you know through these through these times when we do fail each other i mean the same is true for a marriage right the same is true in any relationship because for both elders and in in all believers love must cover a multitude of sins but when a church leader is accused of, of grievous sin then the sin must be dealt with scripturally. And, and, and Paul lays this out for us here. He, he says you have to deal with accusations scripturally. And, and again, any person in a leadership role will, will eventually be accused of wrongdoing. I could pick, I know several of you who are in leaders, who leadership in, in secular work, or you have been, and, and I could ask you, have you ever been accused of anything? <laughs> And you would all say, yeah, right? It happens. And there, there are various reasons for this. And there are reasons for it in the church. Again, decisions must be made by leaders. and They're not always popular with everyone. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, other times, uh, when a spiritual leader addresses a person who is doing wrong, sometimes that person is unrepentant and retaliates by accusing the leader who's trying to help him or her. That happens. So what Paul is saying here is that only those accusations against an elder that can be verified by at least two or three witnesses should be given any consideration. 
And of course, he's referring back to the Old Testament law. He's referring back to Deuteronomy 19.15, which says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And and this is also undoubtedly a, a reference to Jesus' instruction in Matthew 18. See, one person's grievance against an elder with no other witnesses willing to step forward must be rejected. It must be rejected. That's what what, um, Paul's saying here. However, if there are multiple witnesses in an accusation against an elder, then that accusation must be investigated and properly judged. And and there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, is that sin cannot be overlooked. Sin sin must be dealt with. And and second of all, a false accusation against an innocent person must not stand. It it must be taken care of, wiped off. So what happens? Let's say there's an accusation against an elder there's two or three witnesses come forward and it's investigated um, hopefully by, by the other elders and perhaps some other spiritually minded people in the church however it's decided to be investigated and sometimes the elder is going to be found innocent right? that there was actually no wrongdoing here perhaps it was a misunderstanding perhaps whatever it wasn't, it wasn't this grievous sin that, what, that they were charged with. And, and sometimes he's going to be found guilty that he actually was involved in, in this sin. And, and if guilty, well, of course, what he needs to do is repent. Um, but whether he repents or not, the elder's sin still demands public exposure and rebuke. This is what he says here. You look at it. Um, in, in 1 Timothy, he says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. Now, some, some well, it says that only those who would continue in their sin need to be publicly rebuked. But um, most commentators, and again, I would agree with them, don't believe that that's the case here. That it's, if, if elder, if someone in leadership sins, Grievously, whether he repents or not, that needs to be brought to the attention of of the church. Um, of course, if he refuses to repent, then then what happens? Well, you follow Matthew eighteen. He's he's excluded. He's excluded from the fellowship of the congregation be, because he's to repent of his sin. Um. So, so again, though, he, we, we must remember that Paul's referring to sin. He's not merely speaking of a, a, leader, a, a mistake in judgment or a minor shortcoming. Um, not talking here about minor offenses. It, and that means that there needs to be discernment and, and wisdom in what needs to be made public and what falls in that category of, of love covering a multitude of sins. But there's no mistake. When, when there is serious sin involved in the life of an elder, then the elder must be rebuked in the presence of all. 
There must be public exposure before the entire congregation, not just in the Council of Elders. It can't it can't be swept under the rug. And, and the reason for this is that the spiritual leader's sin has, has grave ramifications. It, it can cause more people to go astray. It can cause, it can give occasion to the unbelieving world to, to mock God, the church, and the gospel. The sin of the elder must be addressed head on in order to evade, avoid gossip, misinformation, and more sin. Because we all know if an elder sins grievously and only a few people in the church know about it, regardless of the size of the church, eventually it's going to spread and what's going to be said is going to be exaggerated. You know, that's why sometimes in our church we have to address things publicly. You know, because it's, it's public knowledge and people, you know, they're hearing things and some of it's not accurate. So, dealing scripturally um, with the sin of an elder is also necessary. You see here um, in this passage in in 1 Timothy, it's also necessary to to deter other elders and and those in the congregation as well from sinning. And it does so by by instilling into others the the fear of suffering and, and the shame of the, of the consequences of their own sin that would come upon them if, if they were to sin. So it must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. You can't, you know, there, there's no one, there, there's no partiality given to elders. In fact, they're held to a stricter standard. So God's plan and I think this is really a good summary here. God's plan for a local church is to have mature, spiritually qualified elders who are leading the congregation as loving shepherds and wise overseers with a congregation who trusts the elders and defers to them when their preferences are not met. And this is a difficult concept to understand. However, it can be difficult to consistently live. Right? It's not hard to understand. It's hard to live sometimes. Because we, we, have a, we all have a profound effect on one another. Um, that's why he says here in Hebrews 13, 17, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Because those who willfully follow and submit to the leadership of their church bring joy to the leader. But those who refuse to follow, those who complain and quarrel, those who get upset when they don't see eye to eye with leadership, um, they, they bring grief to the hearts of the leaders. And, and the, this word groan um, could be translated sigh or, or moan. It's a strong inward emotion that, that words are unable to articulate. So when the elders of a church see an individual go off into false doctrine, it's grievous. When believers in the congregation live worldly, carnal lives and, and excuse it, it, it's grievous. When they're deceived by the devil and participate in modern-day cultural practices and neglect the clear teaching of practice, it grieves the leadership. When believers refuse to grow and to learn and apply the scriptures, 
it's grievous. When they refuse biblical correction, it grieves the leadership. They sorrow and moan because of the unwillingness of the believer to follow the leadership of the church, which is the way of the Lord if the leaders are following the Lord. Moses, he, he struggled with it, right? He said, he said, I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden's too heavy for me. Paul says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You know, so, so local churches are, are going to have problems sometimes. Um, and it's because either the elders who are not fulfilling their scriptural responsibilities and or because the believers in the congregation are not fulfilling their responsibilities. So I just want to, in conclusion here, admonish us, all of us. If God puts you in leadership, um, really any kind of spiritual leadership in the church, but specifically as an elder, make sure you guard yourself. And that by the grace of God, you are the best possible elder you can be, seeking to scripturally minister to those under your care. And for those who are not elders, guard yourself. Seeking to have confidence in the leadership of your church, the benefit and deferring to them when your purposes are not met. Don't, don't be the one who will only participate when exactly how you think it should be. If you're in, in a church, this one or another, and your leadership is scriptural, not perfect, but if your leadership, your elders are seeking to, to shepherd and oversee the church according to the scriptures in a loving, caring way, then you should be able to work through whatever issues you have with the leadership. You should be able to cooperate with them and participate in the church, promoting unity, peace, and the advance of the gospel. And if problems arise and, and you have a respectful, honest dialogue with the leadership and you determine that you cannot have confidence in, and you cannot defer to the leader, then you should humbly and quietly the church. I mean, the best thing is, is to work things out. Because the truth of the matter is, if for most, people who depart from a church that has godly scriptural leadership because they don't trust the leadership and they're not willing to defer to their leadership generally speaking when they go find another church inevitably they find the same problem that they can't get along with that leadership either And, and again if you listen to the message you know I'm saying sometimes the problem is with leadership Right? And we, we understand that. And leadership has to be, be held to account. Well, one last thing here. Part of the problem is sometimes, in, you know, sometimes in, in, in any church, part of the problem is, is people we're dealing with don't know the Lord. They're in a church and they've never... They've never truly repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Savior. Um, 
you know, the Lord knows the hearts. We, we can look at people's lives and we might have our opinions on things. But ultimately, God knows their hearts. He knows who are his and who are not. But sometimes that's the case. You have people in the church who are even members of the church, and they've never truly been converted. They've never truly put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've never believed the gospel. Maybe they believed it up here, but it never affected their hearts. It never affected their lives. They've, they've never been a new Christian. Uh, they've never lived as a new creation. And, you know, the, the first thing, that if you want to get along in a church, is, is to make sure that you recognize your own sin before God, that you've confessed your sin to God, that you've acknowledged that you need a Savior and that Jesus died for you, that he rose again. Your Savior from sin to give you the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And if, you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, of course, that invitation goes out to you to receive Christ. But one last word here. I think I put this on your handout. Let's pray for one another as leaders and individual believers and families in this local body that we would fulfill our scriptural responsibilities to one another so that we might see our church grow spiritually and become a stronger witness in this community where God has placed us. It's both the leadership and the congregation that have responsibilities. And as we submit ourselves to the Lord and his word and grow in our submission to those responsibilities, God will give us spiritual growth. He will bless us and bless our outreach. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May it find lodging in our hearts. And may you encourage us from our time together in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Bill, let's sing one.